1: Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. How do, how do, my friends?
2: I'm just trying to keep myself sort of pumped up here tonight, although I'm always pumped up to do the show, don't get me wrong, but I have my routine. I come in, I have my tea now that I've quit coffee. We'll see how long that lasts. Uh, But, you know, you you get to a certain age, Uh, turned 49 recently, and, you know, it, it, it's, it had been eight years since I'd been to the doctor. Uh, I found out out last time. I'm uh, feeling a little sluggish after Christmas, despite uh, this new diet that I've been on and running and all of these things. I thought, geez, I should be feeling a little more energetic. And I was for a while, and then it tapered off, and all of a sudden I was feeling kind of sluggish. So I went to the doctor. I said, it's a long time overdue. And uh, so she's sending me, you know, for blood tests. That's just typical, normal, standard procedure. Uh, When you get to a certain age, you know, get your cholesterol checked and all these things. So um, you've been to a blood test. You've had them done. You know, you're not supposed to eat when you go in for your blood test. And that includes tea. And uh, so I can't have tea. I'm going in first thing tomorrow morning. And uh, so I'm just here uh, nursing a glass of water and uh, missing my tea. What can I tell you? Uh, You ever wondered? Now, many of you follow the program, devotees to the program. And you believe in conspiracies, obviously. I mean, I believe in many conspiracies. I don't believe everything is a conspiracy. Uh, but believing nothing is a conspiracy is, as far as I'm concerned, as ridiculous as believing that everything is a conspiracy. So, but if you if you do believe in conspiracies, and you've you've often run into this, people who just roll their eyes at you. They're not interested in engaging you or if they do you get a snide remark they're very dismissive and and so I found this great website the title of uh, the article on the website is how to respond to an anti conspiracy theorist brought to us by uh, I don't know who the people are behind this but it's called tomatobubble.com so the you say something to someone like, oh, geez, I think 9 11 was an inside job, or what have you, and they say, you sound like a conspiracy theorist. So here's your response Conspiracy theorist? Now tell me the truth. Where did you hear that term? On TV? And then you're supposed to laugh. So let me get this straight. Are you saying that men in high positions of power are not capable of criminal activity and telling lies to the general public? Are you really that naive? And then again, you're supposed to laugh as you say this. Then if you get this reply, I'm not saying that governments don't lie, but a conspiracy like that would have to involve hundreds of people. You can't hide something like that. Here's your response. You're absolutely right. I agree with you 100% it is impossible to totally cover up a conspiracy so massive. That's why I know about it. What you must understand is they don't have to cover it up totally. Now, here's the part I like. I never thought of it this way. Uh, Even a bucket that has a few leaks can still do the job of carrying water from here to there. They only need to fool 80% of the public, which isn't so hard to do when you control the major networks and newspapers. The 10 to 20% that do figure it out and the fewer still who will dare to speak their minds about it, can be very easily marginalized with the propaganda label conspiracy theorist. The 80% never take us critical thinkers seriously because they want to be part of the majority. This is known as groupthink. And note, when saying conspiracy theorist, always hold your two hands up as you make sarcastic quote marks with your fingers, thanks to the uh, folks at Tomato Bubble. How to respond to an anti-conspiracy theorist and I have, uh, I've posted that, along with a number of uh, interesting news stories up at the website, richardserrett.com. richardserrett.com. Do visit it. And also uh, say hello on Twitter, at Richard Would love to hear from you. Now, we are uh, anxiously awaiting the arrival of Sean David Morton, who was supposed to speak with us about Area 51. And at the moment, this is live radio. He's not where he's supposed to be. Uh, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to open up the phone lines, Tim. And uh, f- until, David, uh, until Sean David uh, Morton joins us, we're going to do uh, some open lines. Can we do that? Open up the lines? And if you'd like to respond to this article, I'd like to find out how you respond to an anti-conspiracy theorist. If you've encountered somebody who doesn't believe in them, I'm not saying they believe in some and not others because I would put myself in that camp. I believe RFK, JFK, MLK, those were all conspiracies. I believe 9-11. Obviously, 9-11 was a conspiracy whether or not you believe in the official version or not. The official version, which says it was perpetrated by Osama bin Laden and his minions, that's a conspiracy because it involved more than one individual. But if you've encountered someone who doesn't believe anything is a conspiracy, they've got these blinders on. I'd like to know how that conversation with them goes and how you respond to what they say. And there's some great tips here at tomatobubble.com, how to respond to an anti-conspiracy theorist. Now, here's something else. This is called the ridicule trick. You'll get this from, uh, from people who don't believe in conspiracies. They'll say to you, that's ridiculous, as they roll their eyes. Do you really believe that nonsense? We've all heard that, right? Here's the suggested response from the people at tomatobubble.com. So again, the person says to you, that's ridiculous. Do you really believe that nonsense as they roll their eyes? Your response, can I ask you an honest question? Then you wait for a Yes. Do you consider yourself an open-minded, critical-thinking person? Yes or no? Again, you wait for a yes. Then how can you possibly ridicule an opinion when you haven't even done 10 minutes of research into the matter? That's kind of ignorant, don't you think? Then you wait for a response. Then they'll say something like, Not everything that happens in the world is a conspiracy. Your response? Not everything is a conspiracy, but nor is nothing a conspiracy either. Wouldn't you agree that we should evaluate each case independently and with an open mind? You wait for a response. You might get something like this. Governments are so incompetent, they can't even deliver the mail on time or balance a budget. They couldn't possibly conspire their way out of a paper bag. I often get this one. This is probably the number one thing I get when... When I talk about 9-11 or something, people they'll say to me, governments are so incompetent, they can't even deliver the mail on time or balance a budget. They couldn't conspire their way out of a paper bag. Here's the suggested response from Tomato Bubble. Don't confuse your incompetent, dim-witted congressman or senator with the shadow government. The dark, covert elements who stage these events are very skilled at carrying out and concealing their plots. Take, for example, the Manhattan Project. Hundreds of the world's top scientists were holed up in a desert for months as they worked on the A-bomb. This conspiracy was so secretive that when FDR died and Vice President Truman became president, FDR's advisors had to inform him of the project's existence. So you see, the shadowy intelligence element of the government is very capable So, listen, we're uh, we're just a moment away from a break here. When we come back, we'll roll the numbers, make the phone lines available to you. And I'd like to find out how your conversations with anti-conspiracy theorists go. What do they say to you? What do you say to them? And I also have uh, some more wonderful little tips here from how to respond to an anti-conspiracy theorist from... Uh, the website here, again, is tomatobubble.com, and uh, it's subtitled The Forbidden Truth About Economics and History. The other thing, I very, very quickly, before we get uh, rolling here, that I wanted to share with you is another story that I've posted. This I, I was absolutely gobsmacked by this. This is uh, from livescience.com, and... Storm clouds—they've just discovered storm clouds in the Earth's atmosphere are filled with microbial life. This uh, research was just published January twenty-third in the journal uh, PLOS One. P L O S One—that's an acronym, I believe. I don't know what it stands for, uh, but it revealed that hailstones drawn from storm clouds harbor several species of of uh, bacteria that tend to reside on plants as well as thousands of organic compounds normally found in soil some of the bacterial species concede the tiny crystals that lead to the rain uh, lead to rain suggesting the bacteria actually play a role in causing rain absolutely astounding all right why don't we get those uh, phone numbers out to you right now a uh, four one. It's been a while since I've given these out. Four one six three six zero zero. <laughs> Help me out. Oh so, oh yes yes four one six three six zero zero seven forty. Normally they're in the liners. Four one six three six zero zero seven forty, and from out of town toll free. One eight eight eight. No, 877. Sorry, what is it, Tim? Just whisper in my ear. 866-740-4740. Okay, so once again, 866 740 Did I get it? All right. Again, uh, we can talk about anything, uh, but we can also talk about how you respond to an anti-conspiracy theorist. And let's begin with uh, Kevin, who's here in Toronto. Kevin. Hi, Richard. Hey there. How are you, my friend?
3: Not too bad. How's it going, sir?
2: Very well, thanks.
3: Good, good. Um, Yeah, I've been a conspiracy theorist uh, for about probably six years now. And uh, before that, I was on the total opposite side of the fence, like, no way. You know, none of this stuff is real. And, uh, you know, thanks to George Bush and uh, 9-11, uh, I'm 100% convinced that pretty much everything since the assassination of uh, President Lincoln, uh, it could be open to conspiracy at the highest level of, well, mostly the American government, but, I mean, our government's right in there too. So... Um, I've encountered most of my family and friends. How do they respond to you?
2: Crazy. Do they? How do they respond to you? Do they roll their eyes? Do they? Do they make disparaging remarks? How do they react?
3: Well, it is, it, it is pretty much like that. Um, you know, you get uh, you get the common rolling of the eyes, and uh, how is the big question. You know, most of the time, people don't take the time to look into things and actually uh, maybe go talk to their mp about about certain things or go talk to their friends or parents or you know whoever is in their life about what they actually think about these things.
2: So, All right my friend listen i got to uh, run got the music coming up here so check out Tomatobubble.org or go to the website, RichardSarrett.com, and then uh, on, the, on the, uh, new, the, uh, the right side, you'll uh, scroll down and you'll see how to respond to an anti conspiracy theorist. Some great tips from tomatobubble.com. Kevin, thank you for the call. We'll take more here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Sarrett. Stay with us.
1: shadows where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Where we are asking the question, how do you respond to an
2: anti-conspiracy theorist? You've met them. Uh, These are people who, uh, they, they don't, it's not that they believe some things are conspiracies and other things are not. They simply believe that nothing is a conspiracy, which again to me is as Irrational is suggesting that everything is a conspiracy. Uh, so how do you respond to them? And how does that conversation go? Giving you some tips from uh, bubbletomato.com. And I've posted that uh, article at uh And the title uh, of the article is How to Respond to an Anti-Conspiracy Theorist. Uh, let's say hello to Nathan, also in Toronto. Nathan, how are you? Welcome.
4: Hello there. How are you tonight? Very well. Oh, great. Thanks. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I'm uh, kind of a new listener, I guess. I do a lot of traveling by the city, and I always catch you when I can. I appreciate but that. I must say, most people that I encounter, it's hard to find someone who's actually a complete anti-conspiracy theorist. I find there are there's certain hard facts, there are certain smoking guns about about many of these things that you just lay them in front of people, and one one of the first reactions is they're shocked that they don't know this or they haven't heard this fact. And a lot of people are, I find they just start to wake up. They're triggered to uh, look into it. And I find some people have made even a complete reversal. They'll start coming to me and bringing me all these, oh, I was looking into this last night. And Have you seen this? And, and uh, I find a lot of people are really open.
2: That's uh, quite interesting, Nathan. It sounds to me like you're traveling in enlightened circles because um, here's an, another example of... of uh Someone that I run into. Now, they might concede that conspiracies happened, but that was a long time ago. So for example, if you throw JFK at them, they'll say, Oh, why does everyone always mention JFK? Uh is that, well, because that's a pretty good example of a conspiracy or RFK. But they're not willing to concede that anything happened that has happened since is a conspiracy. I I, I think in part uh, that it's it's a, it's a it's a psychological defense mechanism because people don't want to have their reality sort of deconstructed. Uh, yeah. Go ahead.
4: I'm sorry, sorry to cut you off there, but I, I completely agree. They don't. Uh, those few that I have encountered who who are not open to things, they just want to keep. A, and I, I don't say this to put people down because it's nice when people are happy, but they just like to keep that smile on their face and they. They like to pretend that it doesn't affect them. They like to say, oh, well, well, that's like 9-11. I don't live in New York or I'm not affected by that. I'm way up here, that sort of thing. And eventually they'll just I find they just tune you out. They'll stop listening because they they can't face it. They can't listen to things without having their reality blown wide apart on them.
2: A part of me can't blame them either because we're so we're under such strain and pressure. Whether you know it's dealing with just a family life and tr- and trying to keep, uh, just pay the mortgage and and get the kids to school on time. Adding another, not a layer. I mean, it's a crushing weight uh, oh, to sure. to add that on top. People don't have the time or, um, to or the coping mechanism, perhaps in some cases, to deal with that kind of information. So you, some in some ways you can't blame them for just running in the opposite direction. Yeah, I absolutely. almost respect that more though than I than I than the, than the people that will s- stand there and just shake their head and roll their eyes
4: at you. Yeah, yeah, that 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 can be frustrating, and it doesn't lead me to to uh, question the things I believe, but it can it can sort of start that spark because you you there are certainly intelligent people who think everything's just hunky dory, and and when they uh, when they can put, try to put you in their place, they really try. And sometimes I have to shut up and turn the other way, too. <laughs> All
2: right, Nathan, appreciate the call. Thanks for uh, for calling in as you travel through these parts. Uh, Ron is somewhere in central Ontario. He's being somewhat secretive of his location. I can respect that. Ron, welcome.
5: Hello. Hi there. How are you? I'm fine. Uh, mine is uh, a, a little long story, but... Uh, I'm uh, phoning about UFOs.
2: All right. You've recently had Um, a a sighting?
5: At any given night when it's really nice and clear, I can count at least 6 to 26 stars, which aren't stars, that are moving. They move in uh, very, very slightly sometimes, sometimes very obviously. I, at one point, seen one that was two-and-a-half miles across leaving the Earth. And my, how, Sorry, uh,
2: Ron, if I could just interject. How were you able to ascertain the length of this particular uh, object?
5: Well, the light went down from one. We, we have our concessions out here, and they're divided in two-and-a-half miles. Right. The light went down one side and met uh, the road. On one end, and it met the road on the other end. So, therefore, across it must have been two and a half miles.
2: And and how uh, how close to to you were?
5: Uh, I was uh, I was a concession away from it. I was two and a half miles away from it.
2: Was it low to the ground? Was it up in the air?
5: It was lifting up from the ground. Uh, I I at first really thought it was the moon. Then I looked, and I. No, the moon doesn't come up in the West. And then I I pulled my car over, and uh, I watched it as it came up, and it was really, really bright, really bright. And then I saw an orange part coming up, and I said, Oh, no, first strike. I'm going to be crispy crunch here in a little while. Hmm. And as it went up further, the orangey part in the middle, which was streaky, it, uh, it filled out into a circle. Now, I have a cousin who has a daughter in law who took a picture of it. And she took it with a high definition um, camera that she just got. And she took the picture in and she put it into her computer and she wiped away a lot of the orange. And in the middle was a very small, uh, I-, I gotta say, flying saucer. But it was deep, rather than long.
2: So the light was the the light extended from one concession to the other. But the actual craft in the middle of that light was comparative. It was was relatively small.
5: Behind that, the orange, and on the top of it was it actually looked like a kid's toy, and on the top of it was a was a clear dome. Now, before this all happened, I uh, had an incident at my house where i took a laser pointer out on a friday night and i pointed it at a what i would suspect to be a flying saucer up there and i and i did an s o s then i did a one one two one two three to show them that i was intelligent and the following night i went outside because i have not i've got no Running water, so I was going to go to the bathroom, and I was working nights, so I was just laid off, and I was accustomed to going to the bathroom in evenings, nights. And over top of my house were three. Um, I don't know whether you know uh, what an old iron looked like, where you heat it up on a stove.
2: Yes, yes, I had one of those. Uh, okay, my, now, my parents had one of those. These were
5: going in a triangular motion. And I could see, without any light on, that on the back end, the flat end, there was a blue and a green light. And in the middle, there was a large, clear, and on the front, there was a red. Hmm. But they weren't illuminating. So I went out, and I got into the light, and I tried to motion them down. And they they just ignored me and kept on going and going and going. So finally, I just went in, and went to bed.
2: Ron, how how uh, how many craft have you seen over the years? I mean, is this a recent uh, hobby of yours?
5: Well, I have seen exactly probably well, let me see now, probably seven different types.
2: Seven different and types. And this lately, one that, that the the light was about a concession wide, two and a half miles wide, and and just you're you're lately. And, and someone took a picture of it. Uh, uh, I
5: wished I had a camera. No, I really you, wished.
2: Yeah, but you said you took a, someone took a picture of this one craft. You can't craft.
5: get a picture with a, with a, with a, uh, a telephone uh, camera on that. They were, they were just a blur, blur from one point to the other, and if one was out of sync just a little bit, there would have been a crash. And I would say six weeks ago was the first time I saw an actual flying saucer. Now, uh, this thing was darkened, and its lights had lights around the outside of it, the rim. And they kept on going around and around, around and around, it, and it just seemed like it couldn't Stay still. It was up and down a little bit and back and forth a little bit.
2: Ron, let me jump in here uh, because sure. uh, I've got to move on here in a, in a moment and I appreciate the call. But most, uh, the vast majority of, this, of us will go an entire lifetime without seeing anything. And here you have seen numerous craft I have or UFOs. Seen so is, much, is, do you sir. think there's something about you? Is that what is it about you? Why do you get to see so many and the rest of us? Uh,
5: I think good thoughts of them.
2: You think good and thoughts, and
5: I do believe that they tune into your thoughts.
2: Interesting, interesting.
5: And um,
2: listen, the picture that was it—your cousin took of this this huge light, this huge craft. Was it your cousin took that picture? Uh, what she—I would love to see it. I mean, I don't know if she oh, has it on JPEG. She
5: lost it in her computer, but I told her. I said, "You take it to a computer shop, and I would imagine they could pull it out of there."
2: I'm sure they could.
5: Everything that goes into there is on a hard drive.
2: Exactly. Well, you see, curse those JPEGs, right? We're, uh, all our memories, all our records are now on JPEGs. We don't have the old uh, snap, uh, snapshots anymore in the shoebox. But if she can find that JPEG, uh, you could send it to me. I would love to see it. And uh, you can contact me through the website. Ron in Central Ontario. Thank you very much for that call. And we have an anonymous now calling from uh, somewhere in the United States. That's about as uh, as vague and anonymous as you can get. All right, anonymous. Welcome. How are you?
6: Yeah. Hey, Rich. How are you doing? You can call me John. John. John's easier than saying anonymous. John
2: is much uh, friendlier than anonymous. Uh, I, I, yeah,
6: <laughs> I just wanted to ask, answer your question about how do you deal with the anti-conspiracy conspira- people. Right, right. And I agree pretty much with the the way you think, and that's that, you know you don't you don't get into a thing with them because why cause yourself a headache i also agree with the caller before the last one that more and more people seem to be opening up i wait for them in other words i don't i don't as they say cast your pearls at swine right. you know i wait for somebody who's like minded to come around and if they do i'll discuss certain things but most of the stuff you know they would think you were from another planet if you started telling them half the things. They can, like you said, they can buy into Kennedy and stuff like that. But if you tell them anything about... I'm not saying there was a conspiracy around 9-11, but it was questionable. Why do I say that? Because I live in the area. I lived within a quarter mile of the buildings, and I was down there. Right, right. And Building 7 was brought down deliberately certainly looked that way. I, I mean, you know, I, I, about a, and I thought everybody bought it that way. I really thought everybody you know, knew that. About a year later, they started talking as though building seven fell. And it didn't. The structural integrity of the building was in question. And the fire department, somebody from the fire department and the explosive unit of the National Guard, they actually did. And it went, on, it went out over the radio. So people heard it. But, he, you know, I didn't give it a second thought. I never thought any, and I listened to one of these shows. It was either Coast to Coast or one of them like that. And they had this guy, and they were talking about it. And I called and I said, what are you talking about? Building 7 was brought down deliberately. It wasn't part of the whole thing with 9-11. They said, no, it was. And when I told them what I had just told you, they told me, they started saying to me, oh, no, 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 no. You're thinking some sort of conspiracy and stuff. You know, it, it just it doesn't really pay to try and tell somebody who's got a mindset in a certain way because it rocks their world too heavily.
2: Yes, uh, you're right. It's, it's not that everything is a conspiracy, but if you merely even point out inconsistencies in the official narrative, oh, yeah, yeah. that will get people's back up as well.
6: I mean, people ask me, did you get a flu shot? You know, And I don't get a flu shot because I don't get sick, but I don't believe in the flu shots. But I'll be damned if I'm going to tell somebody... What I really feel the flu shots are all about, because they would never buy it. they would never buy it in a million years i I mean a normal person, I remember what it was like to be um, not thinking along these lines and if somebody had told me what I now believe, half of what I now believe, I would have thought they were crazy
2: yeah it's um it's a rude awakening uh when you start going down this path and I find myself even uh, at times wishing I could go back, back in time before someone first presented me with a copy of Carol Quigley's Tragedy and Hope. Before I read that, Mm -hmm. I guess I was, I don't want to say naive because that makes, you know, the rest that don't buy into this, that's kind of, it sounds disparaging. I don't mean it to be that way. But I wish, sometimes I wish I could go back to those, the days when when I believed everything was sweetness and light and uh, I probably slept a lot better and I worried a lot less.
6: You can't let it get to you you know. like when you're a kid you know Santa Claus is real and it's magical it's magical for a child right if you would take that child say seven or eight years old and tell him hey listen kid they're lying to you it's there's no such thing as Santa Claus really mommy and daddy they're lying to you and they're putting things under the under the tree you would you would be committing a crime that you'd have to pay for. That 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 that's a horrible thing to do. Yeah. And much the same way, if you rock somebody's world by uh, telling them what you suspect, because you can't really know, but you have suspicions, um, it it's like that Tom Cruise and uh, what's his name thing in the Marines. You know, you can't handle the truth. You know.
2: Right. Listen, John, I, I really appreciate the call. I hope you'll call again. Enjoyed our conversation. We'll uh, get to more great conversations when The Conspiracy Show comes back in a moment. How do you respond to an anti-conspiracy theorist?
1: Letting you draw your own conclusions. This is the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM seven forty. Welcome, friends. It's a, a very rare evening of open lines here on the Conspiracy
2: Show. We don't do this very often. We don't do it enough, and uh, so it's good to actually uh, just keep it between you, me, and the telephone, enjoying our, our conversations with uh, with you tonight. And uh, this all got started. Um with a story I found online at tomatobubble.com. I posted it on my website at com, and it's entitled, How to Respond to an Anti-Conspiracy Theorist. And so I've been asking you, all of those of you who subscribe to certain conspiracies, how you react or how you uh, how do you respond when you're confronted by someone who believes that absolutely nothing is a conspiracy. They won't have it. They don't even like it when you start raising uncomfortable questions about certain things and so there's some great tips here Um, here's one they call this the unresolved detail trick you've probably encountered this you're you're talking to someone again maybe it's about 9-11 or maybe it's about the martin luther king assassination or what have you and they'll this is the unresolved detail trick they'll say well if this is a conspiracy then, explain to me how they managed to do X, Y, and Z, or Z. So you respond. Because, you know, that can, that can flummox you. That can say, well, geez, I never thought of that. So the response is, I don't have every missing piece of the puzzle. But I have enough pieces to know that the government media versions is false. Imagine if I gave you a 100-piece jigsaw puzzle and told you, that the image is of a beach in Hawaii. But after snapping 30 pieces together, you notice polar bears, snow-capped mountains, and men covered in furs. So although there's still more than 70 pieces missing, you already have enough to know that the image is not that of a beach in Hawaii. So it's the same with solving conspiracies. I may not have all of the details, but I have laid out enough pieces to know that the official story is a lie. Does that make sense to you? And then you wait for a response. I think that's brilliant. Now, I've answered or I've, again, being in a discussion with someone who's an anti-conspiracy theorist and been confronted with that. Well, tell me then how they did this, this, and this. I've ne- I-, I wish I had that tip in front of me. What I've often said is, well, we don't have all the answers, but we have enough questions that I think does you know demands further inquiry, but the idea of having a one hundred piece jigsaw puzzle and saying I've got thirty pieces, and these thirty pieces are already pointing to a completely different picture. I don't need to know the other seventy picture uh, pieces. That's a great response. Thanks, TomatoBubble.com. All right, uh, here's another great tip. This is called the um. Uh, the isolated piece of evidence trick so they'll say something like other than citing some historical events you still haven't shown me uh, one piece of evidence that this was a conspiracy tell me just one thing that proves a conspiracy the response is that's a trick question because if I tell you just one thing you'll just climb on your high horse and dismiss it as a coincidence what I want to show you is 20 things but you're too closed-minded to consider the case in its totality. You won't even watch a YouTube video, let alone read the case. I sure hope you never get selected to serve on a jury. You want everything boiled down to a simplistic media soundbite. Unless you will commit to a few hours of study, I'm wasting my time with you. Why are you so afraid to study this? 416-360-0740 and one 740 4740 would love to know how you respond to an anti-conspiracy theorist. That's just one thing on uh, the burner tonight. If there's anything else that you'd like to discuss, open lines till the top of the hour. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show, coming to you live from Toronto the Good in Canada. Stay with us.
1: Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740.
2: Welcome back. How do you respond to an anti-conspiracy theorist? If you've encountered one, I think we all have. Um, and the thing that um, you have to be careful about is because there can be a lot of vitriol and animosity if you're not careful. Because some of your friends and your family members may not subscribe to your particular worldview. So I mean, I know we're all individuals, and you, you know, I can't tell you how to handle a situation. But for me, I just I I'm very careful about being. Uh, sarcastic with people uh, or being snide, even if I get that in return, not from family and friends of course otherwise they wouldn't be <laughs> I wouldn't associate with them uh, you've got to jettison you know that that negative energy but uh colleagues certainly particularly in the media you get a lot of this uh, I face a lot of this over the year over the years believe me uh, so but you don't want to be sanctimonious you don't want to be snide you don't want to be rude you don't want to be hostile uh you just have to be calm and lay out, you know, the, uh, the questions, the inconsistencies in the official version of events and, and put those at their feet and see what they do with them. And if they still don't engage, I guess, then fine. You walk away with a smile on your face uh, because ultimately you're not going to change their mind. Perhaps you shouldn't even try. But that doesn't mean that you should uh, you know totally disengage from the world if you ha- if you happen to be surrounded by uh, anti conspiracy theorists. A lot of people have trouble obviously with the word conspiracy, and I understand why i 'll give you an example of this season on the television show uh, i 'm producing an episode on uh, fluoride fluoridation of uh, of public water supplies good idea bad idea is it safe is it effective? And I was, I was trying to get some anti-fluoride activists on the program, and I had a heck of a time, and, they, and they, the reason they didn't want to come on, I finally convinced, I convinced one, uh, or several, but this one in particular was very nervous about coming on The Conspiracy Show to talk about why he feels fluoride is neither safe nor effective. And he said, you have to understand, the moment they, they the, the proponents of fluoride, See me on a show called The Conspiracy Show. They think they've won because they've, they've, they've used that word in the pejorative, conspiracy, to ostracize, to marginalize people they disagree with. And I have to admit, that's true. So all they need to see is, oh, there's that loony Professor Paul Connett talking about how fluoride isn't safe or effective, and look, he's on the conspiracy show. Well, I think we've proven our point, haven't we? They're all a bunch of tin foil hat wearing lunatics. So, what I said to Professor Connett, and I say this to other people, is I'm here to take the word conspiracy back. It's not a theory. In every case, and as uh, as Jim Mars has pointed out, a conspiracy is in many instances a crime and not that i consider myself to be a journalist but certainly journalists should be all about investigating crimes or the possibility they should be they should should be very interested in in investigating whether a crime may have been committed that to me is what conspiracy is all about because every year in the courts throughout north america tens of thousands of criminal conspiracy charges are laid So, conspiracies are real. You cannot get around it. They are committed by corporations. When corporations uh, uh, are accused of collusion or tampering with the labor market or price fixing uh, or some sort of, um, you know, fraud. Obviously, a lot of what went down on Wall Street with the subprime loan scandal. You know, people... Uh, at a bank, got together, more than one person knew about it, that's a conspiracy. If more than one person is involved, that is a conspiracy. Obviously, though, on this show, we're talking about things that are much broader in scope or tend to be. Uh, but we shouldn't back away from this word conspiracy. I know those who call themselves skeptics but are really debunkers uh, like to use the word as a battering ram or as a, as a way of ending discussion or stifling healthy discussion. Oh, that's just a conspiracy. We don't talk about conspiracies. I even talked about people in the newspaper business, and they admitted to me that we have a bias against conspiracies. And I thought, oh, isn't that interesting? So does that mean that if Watergate happened today, you wouldn't cover it? Probably not. Think about that. So think about all the things that may be going on that newspapers simply will not even investigate because somehow the word conspiracy is attached to it. And so they're afraid of it or they just they have a bias against it. That's very troubling to me. And it should be troubling to you as well. Uh, because the fourth estate is supposed to sort of be the last line of defense, right? To protect our, our, our liberties. Maybe the first line of defense. They're supposed to act as the opposition, the official opposition. And question everything everything. Oh, that's just a conspiracy. I heard, you, I saw that line, that was on, 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 the, on a website. So that disqualifies it from further investigation. And I saw this, well, we've seen this numerous times since 9-11. We saw this in May of 2010 after the supposed execution of Osama bin Laden. No pictures, no video, no eyewitness testimony, no names, nothing. No body, (laughs) no body, no DNA evidence. And nobody stood up at the White House Press uh, Gallery or anywhere else as far as I know in the sort of the mainstream news and asked very basic questions. How do we know? And I understand that there's always some rallying around the flag. And I know that after 9-11, there was a lot of rallying around the flag. And newspapers and editors, they do the same thing. So they're not, they're not, going, to, they're not going to be prepared to ask a lot of those probing, uncomfortable questions in the immediate aftermath. Because the first thing they feel compelled to do is to report the human stories, the victims, the heroes, these sorts of things. But in the aftermath, they don't follow up on the most obvious questions. They don't pull on those loose threads. And if they pull on a loose thread and it leads nowhere, so be it. Fine. At least you you did your job and you pulled on a loose thread. So then you move on to the next loose thread. But you don't say, well, we pulled on one loose thread. It didn't go anywhere, so we gave up. Or we, we just realized that um, it was a conspiracy theory. And then the mainstream media, the mainstream news, wonders why there is this growing conspiracy community, they call it. It's not a community, they're just critical thinking individuals who don't buy what I call the cartoon narrative that spoon fed us every night on the news. I had John Rappaport on the show a couple of weeks ago talking about TV network news as brainwashing, and he touched on this a little bit. And from time to time, I'm asked to come on as a commentator on mainstream news, Canada AM up here in Canada or some of the other TV shows. And they have me on because I'm some sort of a curious artifact. Oh, he's one of those conspiracy people. Some of the some of the the T the, the, the V personalities that have me on are genuinely interested, but most have me on and they're waiting for that sort of gotcha moment. Ah, look, we've got a conspiracy theorist, let's see if we can catch him. Let's see if we can make him look foolish. Or we'll give him enough rope and let him hang himself. But they always ask me why are there so many of you out there? Why is this growing? And my answer is because people like you are not doing your job. You're not doing your job. You're not asking questions. You're not being a journalist. You're simply republishing press releases from corporations and government agencies. You're not checking sources. You go to the same sources. You're delivering what amounts to a cartoon narrative of the world around us and people simply don't buy it anymore so where do they go? They vote with their feet they're leaving network news they're leaving the newspapers they're finding their answers elsewhere independent researchers and investigators and people who used to maybe toil in the mainstream news and they quit they quit because they were so frustrated they weren't allowed to tell the stories they wanted to tell that's John Rappaport's story used to work in the mainstream. Finally, he said, the fix is in. They're not in the truth business. So these people, they dedicate their, they'll dedicate 10 years and they'll write a book about it. That's where the information is. That's where the truth is, I find, or a closer approximation to the truth than you'll get with these 24-hour news cycles. and many online publications are doing a much better job. So listen, thank you for your voices tonight. How to respond to an anti-conspiracy theorist. I'll leave you with a few more tips. You're looking at someone and they'll say to you, this is crazy, I don't believe in conspiracy theories. A suggested response is, you don't believe it or you don't want to believe it. There's a big difference between the two. The human mind is filled with, com- uh, with complexes, one of which is the desire to shield itself from unpleasant truths. You're afraid that if you look into this, you might see that it's true. And you're especially afraid that if you come, agree, uh, come to agree with me, you too will then become marginalized as a conspiracy theorist. It is fear that is causing you to close your mind and act like a sheep. Conspiracy theories appeal to uneducated people because they provide simplistic answers to complex events. I get this a lot. You'll have a lot of you know psychologists that'll weigh in. They're asked to comment on the conspiracy genre. And notice, they'll never actually address the questions or the argument. They'll never, they'll never discuss it on the merits of the argument. They'll talk in vague terms about the sociological aspects of conspiracy culture. And they'll say things like, conspiracy theories appeal to people because they provide simplistic answers to a complex world. The response, and this is bang on, I've said this myself, it's exactly the opposite. The evaluation of conspiracy theories do, or not only requires much time and study, but also applied logic and critical thinking. It's intellectually lazy people like you, Who choose to swallow and parrot whatever simplistic narrative that the TV feeds you? Do you ever question anything that the TV feeds you? You wait for a response. Conspiracy theories appeal to people because they're comforting. Have you had that one before? Response. Exactly the opposite is true. It is far more comforting to believe that certain tragic events happen exactly as the TV says than to believe in monstrous internal plots beyond our control. Do you actually think that I enjoy believing that such evil exists? You think I like being ridiculed by simple-minded family members and friends? Take it from me. The life of a conspiracy theorist can actually be quite stressful at times. So there you go. Tomatobubble.com, how to respond to an anti-conspiracy theorist. Now, I would not use some of the language that they use in here. I would never refer to uh, family members or friends as simple-minded because my friends and family are not simple-minded. I would never even say simple-minded to a colleague to his face. (laughs) That's just not nice. And I believe in being nice. Hope you'll continue to uh, follow the program, listen online, Zoomeradio.com. sign up for the podcast at iTunes, follow the show at richardserrett.com, say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett, and of course, tune in live.
1: The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett, from Zuma Radio, AM 740.
2: Welcome. Good to have you aboard. Hope you'll be with me for the the hour. Before we get started, a couple of things. Very proud to welcome a new affiliate. This one's been a while in the works, but we finally... uh, Got the T's crossed and the I's dotted, and uh, very pleased to welcome to the Conspiracy Show family W C S S 1490, Albany, New York. Actually, I believe it's Amsterdam, um, but in what they call the Albany uh, DMS or the, uh, the Albany market. W C S S AM 1490, Amsterdam, New York. Thank you, and uh, welcome aboard, and uh, glad to be part of your family as well. All right. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention—this is a, a fascinating story—and one never knows exactly what to make of some of the reports uh, coming out of uh, Russia these days. You know, there was a time, of course, when uh, when Pravda, of course, it was sort of the the official mouthpiece of the of the state, uh, and then something very strange happened to Pravda uh, after the um, the uh, the dissolution of the Cold War and the Iron Curtain fell or collapsed or was. Kicked down, or however you want to look at that. Uh, Pravda became this strange, curious little newspaper that um, one could only compare to the Weekly World News or other tabloids that you would find at the uh, the checkout counter. Pravda was talking about Bigfoot and and uh, UFOs and 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 uh, these things. So some of you may say, well. Okay, great. Pravda finally started talking about the truth. <laughs> or others of you may just roll your eyes, which was a discussion we had uh, a little while ago. Uh, but now, um, out of Russia, we get this story. This is coming from the Voice of Russia and other Russian sources. They're reporting that a 300 million year old piece of aluminum machinery has been found in Vladivostok. Experts say something called a gear rail. Appears to be manufactured and not the result of natural forces. Well, I don't know how natural forces would create a gear rail. Uh, having said that, I don't know how natural forces would create human beings or an eyeball or anything else. But that's a discussion for another show. According to Yulia Zemanskaya, um, sorry, let me try uh, run that run up that mountain again. According to Yulia Zemanskaya. When a resident of Vladivostok was lighting the fire during a cold winter evening, he found a rail-shaped metal detail which was pressed in on one of the pieces of coal that the man used to heat his home. Mesmerized by his discovery, the responsible citizen decided to seek help from the scientists of the Primorye region. After the metal object was studied by the leading experts, the man was shocked to learn about the assumed age of his discovery. The metal detail or artifact was supposedly 300 million years old. And yet the scientists suggest that it was not created by nature, but was rather manufactured by someone. The question, of course, is who might have made an aluminum gear in the dawn of time remains unanswered. Well, there's another one for Michael Cremo, the author of Forbidden Archaeology. Michael Cremo talks about this and writes about this all the time. Strange artifacts found in strata uh, that are... You know, millions of years old, and yet they'll find these perfectly round spheroid-type objects, polished metal, that, you know, there's no other way to explain how they got there, but they were obviously manufactured, and yet here they are in strata, millions of years old. Or they'll find metal instruments inside rock, again, millions of years old. Does this mean that modern man has been here for millions of years? Well, that's what Michael Cremo would tell you. And incidentally, we will be producing an episode for season three of the TV show on Forbidden Archaeology. Had a chance to speak with Michael Cremo not too long ago in Los Angeles. All right. Let's talk energy healing, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I have a friend who um, who has been going to see... Uh, a Reiki practitioner, and uh, this person swears by it. They've had macular degeneration, and they they say that it's, it's staving off the worsening of her condition. Now, I know someone else who has macular degeneration, and they have to go once a month and get an injection in her eye. Can you imagine that, getting an injection in your eye? This is an incredibly brave woman. She never complains about it. But... If it were me, I think I would try Reiki first. And uh, my next guest knows a little bit about Reiki, I would say. She's a Reiki master. And she's here to talk about her work in the field of natural healing through Reiki and other energy alignment methods. Reiki, incidentally, is is a Japanese technique for stress reduction and relaxation. And it also promotes healing. It's administered by laying on of hands. And it's based on the idea that an unseen life force energy... Runs through us, and it's what causes us to be alive. I believe the Chinese call it qi. Uh, if one's life force energy is low, then we're more likely to get sick or feel stress, and if it's high, we're more capable of being happy and healthy. Gail Thackeray works with the spiritual realm to release ailments and negativity issues in the energetic body by connecting people to Source. She is aligned with powerful spirits who work through her. People report spontaneous. Healings just by attending one of Gail's healing meditation events. She's also an author, a popular lecturer, and uh, the host of a documentary series entitled "Gail Thackeray's Spiritual Journeys," where she travels the world to bring you her experiences of great spiritual leaders and supernatural places. A great pleasure to welcome once again, Gail Thackeray. Gail, how are you?
7: I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on.
2: Before we get into this discussion, you are coming to Toronto because there's a big event coming in March. It's, uh, it's going to give people an opportunity, a very rare opportunity, to see John of God live in Toronto, March 15th to the 17th this year. What else can you tell us about that?
7: Um, John of God is this great healer in Brazil. Um, he's really unusual because he's actually a trance medium, which means spirits go inside his body. and and he's a real person you can actually go down to brazil and see him and he incorporates these spirits and you can go in front of him and a lot of people go with ailments like um you probably heard of him on oprah wayne dyer had cancer and he got healed by john of god and he's quite famous for um curing these diseases that you know doctors just give up on and uh, basically you can go in front of him and and you can tell him what's you know what your ailment is and Um, they they heal a lot of people and it it can be physical it can also be emotional you can even ask for things like uh, help with business or help with finances but you know he's getting um a lot of attention because people will go and maybe the doctor said they've got a week to live and there's nothing they can do and these are the kind of people that go down there and we're bringing this guy to toronto march 15th 16th and 17th and you can actually um, come and see him live, and of course he brings the spirits with him, and you can go in front of him and get a healing. And it's uh, johnofgodlive.com, and you can get tickets to come, and honestly, it's, this is like a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And, you know, for somebody that knows somebody that's really uh, ill, you know, I, I just I can't imagine passing up this opportunity, but really for anybody, even people that have, um, you know, I mean, he can help with all kinds of things. And I felt that going just, you know, it just completely opened me up. I was already um, a Reiki master, as you mentioned. Yes. Doing uh, Reiki healing, which is is like channeling energy, which we all do naturally. We all, you know, we all have this ability when we just, you know, put a hand on somebody, um, try to comfort them. We're, We're actually running this energy. And it's not, some weird and usual energy. I mean, they call it chi energy or life force or Reiki energy. But really, it's just the energy that runs through it. It's, 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 you know, some people just say it's God. And that's what John of God says. He says, I'm, I'm healing with God. It's not, you know, anti-religious or any kind of religious sect or anything. It really is It's almost a little bit like praying for somebody. Um, but there are people that are very strongly connected and, you know, can help to facilitate that.
2: Now this this uh, energy that flows through us. Um, I mean, you know, the skeptics they'll say, "Well, you you can't measure it, you can't detect it. So how do we know it's there?" and 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 so forth. You've heard all of these arguments, I'm sure, Gail. But what
7: well, do you? What... I mean, you measure it by seeing the results. I right, mean, right. um I take people on. I take, take people down to see John of God, and I've taken. I took a lady a couple of months ago who had pancreatic cancer, and her, and her abdomen was sticking out. It was, you know, terrible, and they didn't even know if she was going to make it on the plane. I mean, the doctors had said that, you know, that was it. They couldn't do anything more. They put her on hospice and they were just, you know, basically putting on painkillers and they said, you know, maybe another week or two. And then they told me, I don't think she's going to make it. I don't think she's going to get on the plane. <laughs> we said, put my picture, her picture in the triangle and said a little prayer and said, just please get her down there. And she went down there and, um, you know, amazingly enough, made the flight gets in front of John of God, and, you know, by the first day, she felt slightly better. And over the next few days, you could see it. And by the end of two weeks, you could actually see this this tumor had sunk. She felt much better. She was in a wheelchair when she arrived. She was up and out of the wheelchair. She was even jogging a little bit on the way back to the hotel. And, you know, I mean, you see stuff like this. And, yeah, well, what scientific proof is it? Well, you know, the doctors might say, oh, well, it's just the body. I mean, there are miracles and the body does, you know, do these miraculous things. I had a girl that gave me a photograph to take to John of God. And I was taking it as a distant healing. Like I I go down there and I take um, people's photographs, which is what Wayne Dyer had. And this lady came to see me and she had fourth stage liver cancer. And she gave me a photograph and I said, well, I'm not going for about a month, but I'll take it and I have a little triangle that I got from John O'Gardner, so I'll put it in there. I did my own Reiki, and I said a little prayer, and I said, I'm coming in a month, but can you please start on her? And I didn't know this, but about a week later, long before I even took the trip down there, she went to her doctor. Now, the doctor had said the cancer had spread completely throughout her liver, so they couldn't operate on it. There was no way of removing it. And it was really just a matter of time, and there wasn't that much time left. She went in a week later after giving me the photograph, and the doctor came back and went, "Oh my gosh, these, uh, these, they've all encapsulated the three tumours, and we can remove them. We can do surgery." And so they went in and they did surgery and they took out the tumours, and that took every cell of cancer out of her body, and it was completely gone.
2: Mm. Because of course the liver, completely
7: cured. Because the liver can
2: regenerate itself. So if you take certain parts of the liver out, the cancerous tumours out, then the rest of the, the liver will grow again.
7: And, and, you know, and then the doctor said, well, you know, it's amazing, but, you know, the body can do amazing things. And, I mean, it could just spontaneously happen. And she said, yeah, it could, but I doubt it. And this is the kind of things that happen. I mean, you don't, you don't know. How, how can you tell whether, you know, it was really something went on or whether it was really just a coincidence? But you hear so many of these stories. How could they all just be a coincidence?
2: Well, we'll uh, we'll talk about mo- some more of those great stories. We'll talk about John of God. Gail Thackeray with a spiritual educator, medium, the host of Spiritual Journeys. She's met uh, John of God. She's interviewed him, and she and others are bringing him up to Toronto, March 15th to 17th. And uh, you can click on dot com. Visit that. Gives you all the information, tickets, and so forth. Back with more of my conversation with... Gail Thackeray, as we discuss energy healing versus big pharma here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.
1: When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Gail Thackeray is with us, psychic medium, host of the documentary
2: series Gail Thackeray: Spiritual Journeys. Spiritual Journeys is uh, also a, uh, a book um, entitled Spiritual Journeys, Visiting John of God, and we're touching uh, a little bit on, uh, on John of God, who is coming to Toronto uh, in March. And uh, you can... Learn all about that, how to get tickets and so forth by visiting the website, com. All right. So the other thing that uh, John of God uh, is said to be able to do is, I don't know what you call it or what the, the, the proper term is, but others call it psychic surgery. Mm-hmm. What is the actual pr- proper term- terminology for that?
7: Yeah, you can call it psychic surgery or a visible surgery or visible intervention. Uh, but basically, when you go in front of John of God or the spirits, um, they read your energy, and sometimes people are instantly healed. Or sometimes they'll say, no, we need to do a little bit more, and we need to do a spiritual intervention or a spiritual surgery. These are invisible surgeries. And really, it's just like a, kind of a meditation. I mean, you're sitting in a room you got your eyes closed. John of God comes in as a spirit, and you might feel it. You might not. I mean, as a medium, I definitely felt things going on. Um, other people just say, well, it just feels kind of warm and nice, and then you go back to your room, and you, you know, you just stay quiet, and they actually work on you. This is what happened to Wayne Dyer, but from a distance. So he had to stay home for 24 hours and stay quiet, and... I actually felt the spirits coming and and could really feel them touching me and working on me. So this is what they call a a spiritual surgery, a spiritual intervention. And he's actually going to be doing these in Toronto. So when people come up, uh, whatever it is that they need healing. And sometimes you see people walking in front and you can see that they can't walk properly or there's something wrong with them. And then as they walk past them, you can see that they all of a sudden can walk. Um, But he might also say, okay, I need you for a spiritual intervention. He'll actually right there um, do a spiritual invisible surgery on them. Now, what he does in Brazil, which he doesn't do anywhere else in the world, um, is he does a few physical surgeries, and he does this. He says it's no stronger than the invisible ones, but sometimes people have a hard time believing it. And what he actually does is he'll take maybe a couple of volunteers a day who've been assigned a surgery and particularly say, look, I want to have a physical surgery because I have a hard time really believing this. So it might be somebody with a cancerous lump, and he will take them up on stage and literally cut them open with no anesthetic, mm. um, no sterilization, nothing. Just cut them right open, take out the tumors, and sew them up live on stage in front of people. And, I mean, you can, you can walk right up to them and it's not like you know there's any trickery or anything. I mean, you, you can be right there. In fact, if you want to, you know, if you want to go and you're assigned to surgery, you can be one of the volunteers.
2: Yeah, I've, see, I've seen up. the uh, the YouTube videos, and and um, again, I mean, uh, unless you're there, you've witnessed these personally.
7: Yeah. In fact, we did a documentary, we did a movie called "John of God: Just a Man," and I interviewed a lot of people that had these physical surgeries and said, you know, what did it feel like? And they said, I didn't feel anything, didn't feel any pain. And you can see, he literally cuts them open, takes things out, sticks things up their nose. You can hear the bones cracking. You can see the blood. And you talk to these people, and they say, "Um, well, I was awake, and I felt things, but I didn't feel any pain. Just felt a little bit of pressure. And then I I actually decided to ask him if I could volunteer for a physical surgery just so I could see what it felt like for the film. And so... um, I went, I went, and he actually gave me an eye scraping. He scraped my eye. Hey, jeez. With, <laughs> with a kitchen knife. Um, but this is not, these are something that you, he says are no stronger than the invisible ones. But some people, they just can't believe it.
2: Yeah. You and felt a little also, discomfort, though. You told me about this before. You felt some discomfort.
7: I did. Well, you know, I kind of said the wrong thing. I mean... you're not really supposed to just volunteer for no reason. I mean, I went in the morning with the idea that, hey, I'm going to be on camera, I'd like to see what it feels like, which was probably the wrong thing to say. And I went to John of God and said, hey, um, I have problems with my eyes, I have to wear glasses when I read, can you help me with that? And he laughed at me and said, okay, you can be on the stage this afternoon. So I think he kind of knew. And when he started scraping my eye at first, there was no pain, there was no, I could feel them, but there's no pain, it just looked weird. And then when he came back to do it again, it was absolute agony. I mean, I could feel everything. And I think I thought, you know, maybe it's a little slider of hand, maybe if, if you're quiet and he just gently touches you, it probably doesn't hurt. <laughs> I'm like, no, this, this was like really a guy deeply scraping my eyeball with a knife, and I could feel everything, and this was absolute agony. And he did this two or three times, and then I, I just remember thinking, oh, my God, this is just insane. This is killing me. And I actually heard the spirits in my mind say, okay, you can have your anesthetic now. And then it was almost like they, they shot me with some kind of spiritual anesthetic, and I just, I, I could feel everything. I could feel him touching my eye, but no pain at all.
2: And what was the outcome, uh, do you wear glasses now?
7: Well, it didn't, no. It didn't fix me, I'll be honest. I, I think it really was just, you know, so I could see and experience because I asked if I could feel it. Right. Um, but also, if he does an eye surgery, one of the things that you have to do, one of the rules you have to follow is you're not allowed to read. Can't read, look at your computer for seven days. And I had a really hard time with that one. Mm. So I didn't really follow the rules. So, um, yeah, so m- maybe if I had to followed the rules, it might have done better, but no. My head might be slightly better, but I wouldn't really say it
2: did anything. When 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 it comes to energy healers, and I'm going to use a, a term, that, that, you know, I don't know how you feel about the term, but they a lot of the healers they sort of get lumped together, and they and they're referred to as faith healers. And you know, based on a lot of the uh, the TV evangelists and so forth who claim. Uh, to have this power, and then there was a movie of, several years ago with Steve Martin called Leap of Faith, and he played this crooked, crooked faith healer. There is now, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on which side of the fence you're on, this stigma uh, attached now to this term. So, for a lot of people, when you say the word faith healer, they think fraud, or they think scam artist, or, or I mean, how do you convince people that there are legitimate people out there who can do this, like John of God, like yourself? How do, how do you how do you What do you tell them?
7: Well, I think when you think of faith healers, you're thinking that you have to believe that it's about faith. It's about how much faith that you put into it. And if you believe strongly enough, it's going to happen. And I definitely think if you believe in it, you have a lot better chance, you're more open to it. But I've seen people where maybe uh, their mom has taken a picture down to John of God and they had no idea and they've been healed. Um, So, you know, I, I don't think you have to believe, but I definitely think it helps um the stigma yeah there's a lot of the stigma but you know i mean to me why am i going to sit there and try to persuade somebody that it works um i think a lot of people find their way when there's no more hope and that's why a lot of people go to these healers when they've tried medical doctors and, you know, they've done everything, and it's a point where, you know, there's really nothing anybody else can do, or, you know, they've got some strange infliction that they've had for a long time, and just, you know, the medical's not going to work anymore. I believe that the spirit world works with the doctors. It shouldn't be one or the other. It shouldn't be um, either I go to faith healing or I go to a doctor. I believe that when you connect in with spirit, which we can do ourselves if we are... If we truly believe in are strong enough, we can sit and pray, and whether we believe in God or some higher power or the angels or whatever it is that we're asking for healing for, we can do it ourselves. It's just We have a hard time really believing that, and it can help to have somebody as intermediary that can help us. But I feel that when you connect in and you get help from God, from the energy, from whatever it is, they guide you in the correct way. And so you might have been going to see a doctor, and not getting the right doctor, or not getting uh, the right medicine. And then you go, and then you, you know, get some help from the other side, and all of a sudden, you find the right doctor. Or, you know, like this example I just gave you about the girl that had the liver cancer, you know. Now the doctor could actually work and remove it. So I think that, you know, doctors can go hand in hand with the spirit world. And I just came back from, I did um, I did a talk in Germany. I was invited to speak at a doctors convention over there which I was really thrilled about because I was the only non-doctor. And this is a it's called the Open Mind Academy, and it's doctors from all over Europe, the best of the best. And every year they get together and they talk about what have they discovered about cancer? What have they discovered about Alzheimer's? Um, they look at all these diseases and they say, "What do we know? What have we discovered in our fields and what can we share?" And it's called Open Mind Academy because they're open minded looking at alternative ways. So they're all medical doctors, but a lot of them talked about, um, they didn't really believe in chemotherapy. Really?
8: Or they had,
7: you know, other natural ways they were following. Uh, one lady was telling me that she, had, she specializes in AIDS, HIV, and she'd had this practice for many years. And she went up against a big pharmaceutical company. This pharmaceutical company, who um, a lot of her clients were, you know, having to buy these drugs every month. And some of them were like, I think she said 10,000 euros, which is like $15,000 a month. And she she said that they'd made up strains of HIV that just did not exist. And they had drugs for them that were costing tens of thousands of dollars for a strain that never existed.
8: This
2: is a, a medical doctor saying this? This is
7: a medical doctor in Europe, and she actually went... All the way to Supreme Court, they fought her on it. They tried to have her kicked off the medical board, and she proved that there was no such strain, that it was completely made up. They could never prove that this strain, they called HIV-2 or something, ever existed. And yet, they were making millions of dollars on this drug, and all these patients were taking it because they thought they had to. And this doctor said she proved in Supreme Court that it did not exist.
2: Wow. What what further evidence does one need <laughs> to, you know, that, that there are some... Pharmaceutical companies profiting off the misery of others. Now, I'm, I'm, I, at the same time, though, I'm extremely heartened to know that there is such a thing as this Open Mind Academy. And you have medical doctors, people of science, inviting spiritual educator, medium, Gail Thackeray to speak there, and talk about alternative uh, forms of treatment for things like cancer. And then you have medical doctors... Who say they don't believe in things like chemotherapy and uh, well I don't want to put words in your mouth, but', but I'm, you know i don't know if they feel the same way about radiation and and so forth, but this is uh, this is something that i don't suspect you would find happening here in North America
7: A lot of the doctors talked about um, you know what they'd found most successful in their practices, and they were treating cancer patients and getting sixty seventy percent um, results which was so much better than you know the, the regular doctors and they were talking about health and nutrition uh, homeopathy different things that they mixed in with their practice and they were a lot of them said look there's something more that we just don't know we only know so much that science has taught us but there is there's got to be a higher being there's got to be something else that we don't know um, they talked about how the patients had to have um, they had to have faith and that when they had faith and they prayed and they took a spiritual um, way of healing that their medical treatment improved and you know they got a lot of data on um, how mixing not just the medical treatment, but some of these alternative methods and how it's working so well for them. So they invited me, and I think the doctors invited me. I think they were, you know, not really sure. Well, how is this gonna, you know, how they're gonna take it? So each doctor um, got to talk for about an hour about, you know, what they knew, and it was doctors all weekend talking about their different fields, and then I went last. And I think they were a little nervous about, you know, everybody else has got they've got the powerpoints and they're talking, they've got a lot of data, and uh, you know, very technical. And then of course I'm going to get up with my woo-woo stuff and talk <laughs> about, you know, Yes, the woo-woo healing. stuff. Yes. And so, you know, I got up and I, I demonstrated a healing. Spiritual healing. I took examples, people out of the crowd, and I, you know, I would say to them, "Look, you've got a problem with your right knee," and they'd go, "Oh my gosh, I do have a problem here." Because I was sensing it. I was using uh, clairsentience to sense what was happening with them, and then, you know, I actually did some live healing demonstrations.
2: And what energy alignment were you using? Was it Reiki or?
7: You know, um, I do do Reiki, and I teach Reiki but i think it's all the same stuff i think it doesn't matter really where you start whether you learn you know theta healing or reiki healing or uh you learn it through meditation or you know i felt like i opened up a lot more just going to john of god i think it's when you connect in with the other side however you get there when you open up to the spirit world there there are there's a whole other world waiting out there to try to help us and that we can all channel healing energy um we're all a little bit psychic we can all pick up feelings and things we just we block it out a lot so what i do is i use my body as a gauge so when somebody comes up to me on stage i actually feel it in my body so you know if it's something in their tummy area i actually kind of feel it or uh, you know perhaps as they're walking up i feel my voice going like that and and i know automatically there's something in the throat and i will go ahead then and put my hands on their throat
2: All right, Gail, let me just uh, interject here. We'll take a time out, come back, and we'll continue to talk about energy healing and whether or not it is a threat to big pharma. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show.
1: Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. So, you uh,
2: you, you need some relief from uh, swelling, pain, nausea, headaches, anxiety, and assortment of uh, of other ailments without the, uh, the use of medicine or surgery. Well, it, apparently it happens all the time, and it's been going on for centuries. It's called by many names, but these days it's most, mostly called uh, energy healing. Uh, and whatever name it goes by, ultimately, some say it amounts to faith healing. The amazing thing about it is that the healer need not even touch the patient. In fact, the healer need not even be in the presence of the patient. Powerful medicine. So very powerful and not completely understood, though, though there are so many theories being offered, the most common ones these days being uh, couched in terms of things like chi or prana, meridians, auras, chakras. Uh, we're talking with Gail Thackeray, who is a spiritual medium and a, um, a healer, and uh, she's here to tell us about John of God, uh, that event. He's uh, coming to Toronto March in March, and you can get all the details about the John of God event. At johnofgodlive.com. dot com. So you were telling us, uh, Gail, about being in Germany at this Open Mind Academy. You were you were uh, you closed the show, so you were like Jimi Hendrix at Woodstock. I mean, that's the plum position, right? You don't want to open the show, uh, but you you got to close it. So I got you leave to the close big.
7: Closed the show literally. I you know I demonstrated uh, spiritual healing. And, you know, I actually got people up on stage, showed them energy healing and how it was done and how how it works and how we have energy fields around us. And we collect negative thoughts. We just do it over time. And if we let it fester, eventually it can become something physical inside us. And that well, nobody gets cancer because they're just a victim. You know, even if you, like, break your leg or something, you might say, well, you know, I did it because, I, you know, a car hit me. But But why did these things happen to you? Everything that we have every ailment or every you know it could not even just be an ailment it could be something the problem that we have in our life it all came to us through energy It came to us for a reason and we can also remove that as well because it's a natural state to be energetically healthy so I was showing them explaining this on stage and, and showing them how this worked and that um, I mean they were just so receptive this was a room full of a few hundred doctors and I said, you know, anybody that wants, you know, a little person will come and talk to me and I'll explain a little bit more. The entire room stood up and made a big line down the side, and I was there for about two or three hours afterwards, you know, seeing each of these doctors individually, and it was just amazing. And they closed the show by saying, you know, we've talked all weekend about what we know and we've come so far, but there's a piece that we still don't know. And if we can just put together medical healing with spiritual healing instead of working one against the other, but to merge them together.
2: Is there a a, a war on between uh, these alternative modes of healing, including energy alignment and natural healing through Reiki? Is there a war between that group and Orthodox medicine and, and, and the pharmaceuticals?
7: Well, I mean, I think doctors go to medical school and they're only taught what they're taught. They're not taught any of the, anything else. You know, they're taught out of the books. But the people who are really against it is the pharmaceutical industry. Because, I mean, look, they're making, you know, billions of dollars out of these diseases. So if somebody comes up with a cure or, they, you know, some faith healer can come along and cure people of cancer, I mean, they just lost a half million dollars right there with one, one client. And one of these doctors at this conference in Germany told me that he went to the John of God event in Switzerland. And he just went, you know, for fun to have a good time, went with his family, uh, enjoyed it. And they invited some doctors up on stage, and he was one of the doctors that got up. And he just spoke for a few minutes, talking about, you know, how he we was so impressed and it was so amazing. And he got death threats afterwards from the pharmaceutical industry. He got... Two anonymous calls that basically told him he should watch his back and what he's doing.
2: Wow, somebody's playing rough, and I mean, there's no way of proving conclusively that that's Big Pharma. We have to be careful, but uh, uh, you know, when 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 there are billions, uh, billions and billions of dollars on the table, uh, suddenly you start to see sort of the other side of uh, an organization or or, or, or people. Uh, you know, people.
7: Yeah, actually, the, the Open Mind Academy is now looking into opening their own university for further education for doctors, and they're getting backing from some of the insurance companies over there. Because the insurance companies are saying, look, mm. you know, if you can heal these people of HIV or, or cancer or Alzheimer's for you know ten or twenty thousand, as opposed to you know two, three, four hundred thousand, uh, where are all in. So they're actually getting backing from the insurance companies because it's going to reduce the medical costs tremendously if they can heal these people in a much more natural way.
2: All right, Gail, hold on. We'll take another time. I'll come back. I'd like to find out whether how how difficult or easy is it to learn uh, things like Reiki and er, Reiki, and whether we can perform these energy alignments on ourselves and heal ourselves. Uh, and we'll get into that discussion on the other side. Back with more of my conversation with Gail Thackeray here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't you dare go away.
1: Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Yeah, we'll make the phones available uh, the last
2: 15 minutes of the, uh, of the program. And uh, if people have a question about energy healing or if they have a question about John of God, the John of God event coming up in, uh, in March here in Toronto, uh, then uh, the lines are available to you. Gail Thackeray is with us, a, a psychic medium, um, a spiritual teacher, and uh, a healer. Can anyone learn uh, Reiki or do you have to have certain innate gifts, shall we
7: say? No, you don't have to have a gift. Anybody can learn Reiki. We all have this other world available to us. Uh, We all get little glimpses of it once in a while, but we're mostly kind of blocked off. But anybody can easily learn Reiki. And what you're doing is you're, you're just kind of opening yourself up to the other side. There's many different ways to do that, but Reiki for me was what really set me on my path. And it's like an attunement where a Reiki master, you know, puts in these symbols and opens you up. When I had that, at first, to be honest, I didn't really feel a whole lot. You know, some people say, oh, yeah, you feel, you know, sparks going off and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, I don't want to feel anything. But shortly after that, I found that uh, I was a medium. And I could clearly speak to people on the other side. And that really put me on a whole new path. Um, but, you know, we can do this naturally and we find different ways to it. Um, You know, people find it just through prayer or meditation, Um, but it's really just opening ourselves up that there is another world out there and inviting the energy in, that there are loved ones that have passed over and spirits around us that help us, uh, and that there is this energy that runs through us, and there is a higher being. You know, I call it God, but you can call it divine light or energy or chi or whatever, you want but it's really all the same thing
2: but there is a, obviously there's a proper technique you have to learn the technique You have there's some schooling required
7: well you can take Reiki and Reiki is um, it's a Japanese method of hands-on or you, you actually put your hands slightly above the person and you direct the energy there's a couple of different schools of Reiki uh, one is more like these are your exact hand positions and you do this exact thing and you draw these symbols And then there's more the way I teach, which is, yeah, here are the hand positions and everything, but don't get too stuck on it. You're really connecting in with spirit and allowing the spirit to kind of guide you. And what you're really doing is you're just, you know, placing your hands above the person, or you can do it at a distance, and asking that energy to flow. And when you open up, you you start to get messages of, hey, I think they need a little bit of help in this area. I'm feeling a little here. Uh, maybe this is going on in the life, that kind of thing.
2: Do you have to learn about the different meridians? I, I was in an acupuncturist's office once and I saw this chart showing all the different meridians and that's where they put the uh, you know, the needles uh, following those those lines where the chi apparently flows. I mean, yeah,
7: well that's if you're doing acupuncture or acupressure, then you need to know exactly there. And when you're doing Reiki, of course it helps if you know a little bit. You know, if you know the, um, the chakras, the energy centers in the body, and you know if the... They say the sacral chakra is shut down. That's about relationships. So usually you will know, find, like, if it's something in that, uh, like, your tummy area and you feel some energy stuck there, you'll usually find out there's something to do with some past relationship. Um, so it helps if you kind of know a little bit about the body, but you don't have to. I mean, when you learn Reiki, it's really about you just channel the energy and it goes where it's needed and it does the healing. I
2: was fascinated when you said, uh, and I, I wanted to pick up on this, when you were being taught Reiki, it opened up this portal for you, and you suddenly discovered you were able to communicate with the dead. Yeah. But that was a result of learning Reiki.
7: Yeah. I mean, one day I was completely normal, had no idea I could do anything like this. You know, I, had a, I was a businesswoman and a mom and, you know, very busy doing all this stuff. And I, I took Reiki. Reiki level one. And to be honest, I really didn't notice a difference. I'm like, that's kind of cool, you know. And I start doing Reiki on people and they go, oh wow, I really felt that. And I think, you know, is it all in their head? Because I don't really feel anything. But they were telling me, oh yeah, my leg really feels better and it feels great. And a few weeks after that, I went, I saw this woman, she was a psychic, and she was doing greetings on people. I thought, oh wow, she's great. Pick me, pick me, let, let me have a go. But she didn't, and she was doing a workshop that weekend. So I went to the workshop really just thinking she was going to give us readings. And she was. it was how to become a medium. And she had us do a little exercise and, and bring spirits in next to us. And I thought I was completely making it up. And I got the names of people, what they did, how they passed over, what was going on in the life. And they were freaking out. But I, I was really freaking out because I had no idea I could do this. And then it was like, well, you know, then there was a... Then I was like, how do I switch this off? Because this is, like, too much, and they're coming at me, and give give my friend a message, oh, no, you need to listen to this. It's like I couldn't sleep. It was like, you know, insomnia on steroids. Can you (laughs) you shut
2: it off? Are you able to shut it off?
7: Yeah, definitely. Otherwise, it would drive me nuts.
2: Mm, I would think. So, I mean, but not everyone who learns Reiki is necessarily going to get that added bonus, if you will.
7: You know, I teach Reiki now, and I find that a lot of them uh, do open up like that. Sometimes it's kind of an instant thing, and sometimes it's more subtle, and it just kind of comes over time. But I find that when I attune them to Reiki, they don't only get that healing energy, but they do start to experience things like that, like speaking with um, people on the other side, manifesting things more easily.
2: What's the connection? Hmm? What's the connection between the two?
7: Because you're opening up to the other world, and there's this other world that is there helping you. So we have guides, spirit guides up there that are helping us. And when you're more open to that, you notice it more. So they're helping us and they're trying to open doors for us. And most of the time, we're kind of walking past these doors and we don't notice it. Once you are more attuned to that energy and more, you know, noticing it more, you start to notice the help that you're getting. So, you know, I say, oh, I'd like to get this or I'm wondering about that. And then all of a sudden, it starts popping up in conversation or something appears you know, you're on Google and you, oh, that's what I was asking about. And you start to notice, oh, wow. And then the things that you'd asked to bring into your life, suddenly you seem to be steered in that direction and your life just seems to work more smoothly. And that check you were expecting suddenly arrives. And so I think, you know, when you open up...
2: Image checks. When you
7: go to John of God for a healing, it's not just about physical healing. And I interview people... That you know have been healed from some ter- terrible disease and they're like yeah but that's i keep coming back again and again and you know the reason i come back is because not only did they heal my physical problem but my life is so much better now i feel so much happier i just feel more at peace i have this just you know everything works more smoothly i just love to be in this energy and it's hard to explain but you know once you get more connected whether it's through john of god whether you find it through your own way, you know, you feel much better. It's life-changing.
2: You had me at the check start to arrive. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say hello to Virginia, who is in Niagara. Virginia, welcome to The Conspiracy Show.
7: Hello,
8: am I on already? You are. Okay. I phoned up because I, as a baby, saw Dr. Murdoch mcdonald Bain. He was a um, spiritualist teacher who, uh, or healer who um, was trained in Himalaya. In the Himalayan mountains. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he worked with me. Um, I, um, I was a baby, and they, I wasn't, but my godmother pulled me out the garbage can that they threw me in. And I went to him. Okay, now do you get a lot of throat problems? Because um, I, I am at the moment. Not, pardon? I am at the moment.
7: Yes, okay. Um, and I'm feeling it, and the reason I'm asking, I, you know, when I'm talking to you, I actually feel it in my throat, and that's kind of a, a symbol that, you know, I should talk about that. And, um, you know, a lot of time we get this from not speaking up to somebody about something. You got some, you know, hurts from back in your family. Um, you know, in your early childhood, especially when you're like five or six years old, there were some things that happened where you feel like you just couldn't speak out about things. Um, And it's coming up again now, it's come round again, full circle. So I don't know if it's in a relationship or some other kind of situation, but it's now coming back. And so they're actually saying, okay, we're going to work on it, that's okay.
8: I went into previous lives and I spoke up about them and they had people come investigate me.
7: Yeah.
2: So, Any of that ring true, Virginia, though, about, um, you know, difficulty speaking up and th- this may be rooted in your childhood?
8: I believe I'm um, reincarnated because I didn't speak up enough.
7: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
8: Nicely. But it's and bothering so that's you right now. I feel it in my
7: throat right now. So there's something going on. I think it's with a relationship where you also, you can coming back to that situation. And that's what happens. Life keeps throwing us the same lessons over and over until we finally deal with it and move on. Um, you also have a grandma in spirit that comes around really strong. Um, I don't think you knew her very well. So um, I think she, um, she you grandmother didn't know my your grandma at all. Is that correct? Is it a
8: godmother or a grandmother?
7: It's your grandmother, your mom's mom.
8: Okay. I never knew her.
7: Yeah, exactly. So she's around you and she's been around you um, for many years. Um, you got a ring, though, recently that just kind of came as a gift or something because she's, she's saying that really came from me because she didn't have anything passed down from me. Do you know what that's about?
8: Um, I didn't get anything from her. Um, but you got I got
7: something from somebody else, from a friend or something. She's kind of taking credit for that. She picked it out for you, she said. Do you know what mm. that is? No. Okay, well, then maybe it's coming, but she's showing me it looks like a ring. It's a recent piece of jewelry, or you're about to get it. And I don't know if you got it for yourself or somebody else got it, but she's like, I picked that out for her because she doesn't have anything of mine.
2: Ah, all right, Virginia, so look for a ring coming your way soon. That's always nice to hear. Uh, thank you for your call, and let's try to squeeze in Mary here before uh, while time permits. Mary is in Oshawa, Ontario. Mary, welcome to The Conspiracy Show.
8: Hi, thank you. Um, uh, I'm not clear on this. Is it everyone that goes to see John of God that's in the room gets a healing just yes. because they're in the room or just who he selects?
7: No, everybody. Everybody gets to, to actually go in front of him.
8: Mm-hmm.
7: It's, not, it's very quick, but you get to pass in front of him and go by okay. him, and sometimes he will stop you and talk to you a little bit, but most of the time you just go in front of him. Um, but, yeah, everybody gets the healing that they're there for. Is it, So is when there you go, you hold in your mind what it is, that you'd like to have, and you'll be amazed that it comes to pass. But when you're there, if you're sensitive, you can actually feel the whole room. It just feels kind of very loving, warm energy. There's actually, even though there's one spirit inside John of God working on you, and you all get to see that spirit, there's actually thousands in the building, in the room, also working on you.
8: Okay, and is there any benefit to going for the three days as opposed to just one day?
7: Yeah, most people want to go three days, and again, it's hard to explain because it's really the same program on each of the days, but you'll find completely different things happen, and you'll open up more and more. Um, I say if you're going for all three days, then maybe on the first day you concentrate on perhaps your health or some things going on, and maybe the second day you want to, you know, concentrate on your career or something, and maybe the third day on family. But, you know, different things come up, and that's why people go down to John of God for a week and they end up staying a couple of months. And, you know, if he's, if he's there, I don't know how long it will be till he comes back again. Um, but if you can, you know, if you only want to go for one day, that's fine too. Every day you get to go in front of him.
2: Mary in um, Do you
7: have some uh, lower back problems?
2: Oh, let me see. Let me get her back on here. Oh, sorry. Uh, that's okay. Mary, do you have some lower back
8: problems? Uh, yes, my okay. whole left side, including lower back.
7: Yeah. Okay, well, you taking on you take on a lot, and I want this for all the listeners that are listening that you've got lower back problems. Um, lower back often comes either financial stress or you're stressing because you're always taking care of everybody else. True. And, uh, you know, the, the spirits are saying... Look, you know, sometimes you just got to kind of hand it up to God or white light or whatever and say, help me out here. But um, if you'll just let me do this, anybody that's got a problem there, just go ahead and put your hand on your lower back. Take a deep breath and let's all blow it out together. <sighs> okay.
2: How does that and feel, Mary? It
7: feel like a warm <laughs> I don't sensation know. right I don't there. Know. <laughs> so I hope everybody who's listening who did that, um, you know, I hope you'll get a little bit of relief there. And that also helps with finances a little bit. So that will help also to be in the flow of money a little bit more.
2: That helps with finances? Yep. All right. And I'm, I'm going to be doing a lot of exhaling. <laughs> All right. Listen, Gail, always a, a delight. Uh, again, let's direct people to the website, johnofgodlive.com. And I know there's someone uh, on the line who wanted who is uh, visually impaired. They can't use the website. So let me give them, if they want to order tickets by phone, they can call one eight one eight eight nine seven four four nine three one eight one eight. 897 4493 Eight nine seven four four nine three, and um, uh, Gail, you'll uh, you'll be up here uh, in March. That's uh, I
7: will. Thank you so much for having me on, and I hope to see a lot of you there.
2: My pleasure, Gail. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you to Tim Spreen for production. Back next week with the producer of a an amazing new documentary film called American Drug Wars Two, uh, and it's uh, it's real riveting, folks. A real eye opener. It's also called, the uh, subtitle is Cannabis Destiny. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known, which you hear in the dark, speak in the light, what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite, I'm coming home. Good night.